And we are so glad you're here. Luke chapter 8. This is a, a very well-known parable. So I doubt that we're going to break any new ground, but let's look at it. After this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Let's, let's talk about the women for a bit, if we, should, if we could. If you don't watch out, we can, we, can, we can overlay a simple template over everything and oversimplify the world. During Jesus' time, did women have the same rights as men? No, they did not. Were they free? Not in most ways that we would say so. However, there were many exceptions. For example, among the Romans, women had a great deal more freedom in one area several areas, but in some areas they had less freedom than the Jewish women. The, uh, the Roman navy was basically designed and put together by women, if you start going back and, and looking to see who was in charge of what. It is always complex. In Jesus' day, it would have been considered wrong for a man and a woman who are not related to be walking together alone. It still is that considered that way in, in Muslim countries to this day. They take it quite a bit further. Some of them, some of them, not all. The, um, however, there were women that were independent. If you were independent and able to make a living, you had a great amount of freedom as a woman. Uh, think of Lydia, for example. You could travel. You could make your own plans. You could have your own staff. You could do... You could, you could design your own business or the like. It was women without means that had no power. They had to find a man that could do, take care of them or they would have to, to go into service somehow. And if, you ha if they were married, that also put a limit on them because the husband had more control in that society than in ours. So these are independent women. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, do not confuse her with the sinful woman in chapter 7. A lot of people do. They'll say Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. Well, they are confusing her with the woman in chapter 7. It is not the same woman. All right? Other people try to make her Jesus' girlfriend. No. It doesn't. There is a scrap of old manuscript found uh, in Nag Hammadi with a whole bunch of other late and uh, manuscripts, a lot of them Gnostic or proto-Gnostic. I really don't want to get into describing Gnostics right now. That, that would take us the rest of the day and we'd all go home with a headache and be no wiser. Um, wiser, Gnosticism, huh, didn't mean to do that. Anyway, um, and there is a lot, there's a passage where people say out of this gospel, it says that uh, Jesus loved Mary best and that he kissed her on the lips. And if you saw the manuscript, it has so many holes in it, you have to write that stuff in it. You have to make it up, basically. And it just doesn't work. There's zero history for this. There did grow among the Gnostics a myth a couple hundred years after Jesus' death 
uh, that Jesus had, had wom a woman or women. Other Gnostics said, no, he didn't. Because Gnostics either were a, as long as you know and you have wisdom, you can do whatever you want to with your body, or we know and have wisdom, therefore we do nothing good to our body. You know, they, they like this, right? So the, um, the Epicurean have fun with whoever but it, and whatever Gnostics made up stories about Jesus that pleased them. The most uh, commonly known Gnostic book of the ancient times would be the Gospel of Thomas. It is really hard to read. It doesn't make much sense. It purportedly um, consists of a whole bunch of sayings of Jesus, but they are so obtuse they sound like Nostradamus. You know, and it's, it, it means anything and nothing at the same time. So don't get excited about all of these, and especially this whole idea that Jesus had, got married, had a kid, and they lived in France. Holy Blood and Holy Grail is one of the books that pushes that. The people that push this are still pushing it. Um, Dan Brown's books on the Da Vinci Code and such all do this. Rubbish. Complete rubbish. No historian agrees with them on anything here. So Mary Magdalene was a woman, and, and Luke, by the way, who differentiated between disease and demons, says seven demons came out of her. I, there's a backstory I'd like to have, but we don't have it. You're about to see, yes. The book of Colossians was written, actually, in, in really dealing with Gnosticism and, and Marcion and some of those other apostates that were really giving some trouble to those apostles. You're right. The book of Colossians, and I would even say dealing with Marcionism, um, Galatians, has a, a yes. lot there. Yes. Uh, Marcion was a bishop in the early church. Um, I could go through a little story, but I, we actually did a few years ago in a summer series on how we got our Bible, who believed that the God of the Old Testament was different than the God of the New Testament. Therefore, he denied the inspiration of m almost all of the Old Testament and much of the New Testament and just had a little, you know, he, he denied the Jews, he denied all of that. And he wrote his own little Bible and had quite the following. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why councils like Nicaea were called, was to say, listen, we don't teach this. Don't fall under this sort of teaching at all. Um, they were, the, the councils were not formed to, do, to create and decide doctrine. They were formed to protect the doctrine already received. Now that's a very big difference. Um, were they perfect councils? Of course not. Cool stuff happened, like St. Nicholas <laughs> punching out Arius for denying the divinity of Christ. And when Santa Claus punches out a priest, you know, that's a pretty good story. We don't even know if that actually happened, but I always say I hope it did. Um, just because it's cool. Uh, Joanna's there. Uh, she's the manager of Herod's household. What is this showing you? That this is not just a group of itinerant would-be rabbis moving about the countryside. This is getting into the high structures. In fact, Paul would write from prison, those in Caesar's household salute you. This was spreading we don't know where God is working. And the story of Elijah hiding in the cave is a very, very is illustrative of this. We can think, we're the only ones. We're the only ones. And God said to him, oh no, I have so many. The fastest growing um, 
let me back out. I want to phrase that more properly. Um, the nation in which faith in Jesus is growing fastest is Iran. And it's a movement almost entirely done in secret by women. And we showed a film here. Um, I don't know, that's got to be like six months ago or something. Uh, the, the borders, the border families um, brought it for us. Soldiers coming back um, have validated that what's going on there. And so uh, uh, some, there are some secret people that we've sent in and out. We, I wasn't, Christians have sent in and out to validate it as well. You just don't know where it is. We don't know where God's at work. Our job is just to work where we can. Let God handle the big plan. But I, I love that this is mentioned. And Susanna and many others, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. This is, this is not what we're used to. So let me explain that it was for most of human existence. All the way up past the Civil War, there were camp followers. That's what the groups were called. Almost always consisting of the families of the soldiers or women that were supporting the soldiers. Yes, some were prostitutes, and that's what everybody thinks, but no, most of them cooked, cleaned, used their money to help equip the soldiers, because believe it or not, even in the British Army, until after the, about, well, around the time of World War I, the soldier would have to pay for his own gear out of his own pittance, and you never got ahead. You never got ahead. It's like working in a coal mine in America and having to buy everything at the company store. You never got ahead. And so camp followers were the women and family members that couldn't fight, but they were your supply line. Every military person here knows about the supply line. I do not know the number. One time I'd been told the number. Actually, I've been told several times. I just didn't keep it in the databanks. But it's something like every soldier on the line requires at least 20 people to bring the supplies to the person. These women probably numbered a lot more than the apostles. And they were their own community. There was nothing immoral or wrong going on. And nobody would have assumed that because this is the way people were supported. Independent women funded the mission of Jesus cool but it's not unusual for the first century it only sounds weird because we don't ever hear that Luke puts it in there he's not the only one if you if now that you know this go read the Gospels again and you'll see them popping up at interesting places somebody had to arrange the food and again I'm not being sexist here saying oh only the women have to cook the men were unemployed at this stage basically they had left their business. They didn't sell it. It was still there. After Jesus' resurrection, remember they were back fishing? Some did leave it. I'm, I'm pretty sure Matthew couldn't go be a tax collector anymore. So who's going to fund them? Who's going to bring the food in for them? This was a, an appropriate and culturally acceptable way to fund a mission. And so if you have anything else, we can say that or we can go right into the parable We'll go right in the parable. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. We all know this. We went to VBS. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, 
the plants withered because they had no moisture. In other words, not enough root going down. Other seed fell among uh, thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plant. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than, than was sown. Then he said, he, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. The disciple asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. We'll stop. This bothered me greatly growing up. Why would Jesus be telling stories he knew people couldn't understand? Later in life, um, I became a shrink there for a while before I moved on past that and did something else. But I learned about the power of aha stories. And that's a whole classification, by the way. I'm not making up that term. Aha stories are stories that you tell, illustrations, little parables, but we don't call them that. We, we just use stories, and, and then that a person hears, and they think about it, and then later, as they're away from you, they'll, they'll have an aha moment. Oh, that's what they're talking about. The, one of the grandmasters of these stories would be Milton Erickson, but there were so many others that made their entire, you know, Jay Haley with Family Systems, uh, all of these that found a way to tell stories that later on you would get, and you go, all right, well, why would that work? The same reason telling history stories do. Uh, remember, we, we brought up last week that uh, only about 19% of Americans can tell you what the Holocaust was, and that's just stunningly awful. And less than half can tell you anything about it. You know, it's, and so it's 19% can't really define it and do anything about it. But 50% don't even know it. What? what? What is that? Therefore, anti-Semitism and the like can still rise because we don't know our stories. And right now in America, there's this thing where you're afraid to tell your stories because all your stories have flawed people in them and you're not allowed to have flawed people in stories. So we can't talk about, for example, Thomas Jefferson because he had these flaws. There are serious flaws, don't get me wrong. And we can't talk about this what if we applied that to scripture? Other than Jesus, look for people in here that we could tell stories about that aren't flawed. People, I wouldn't let David lead a prayer in this church. Not until he repented and we really figured it out and we kept him from the women folk for a while. Um, would you? How about Abraham? Twice farmed, fobbed off his wife as a sister to save his own skin. That's not terribly gallant of him but because we've gotten into this stage where we can't use stories for people that are flawed we're losing our stories I think the devil's behind that because you've got to know your stories you have to well he's telling stories for them to have aha moments why because most of what Jesus is telling them will not really make sense until the death burial resurrection and then, oh, now I get what he's doing. And now when he tells you in Matthew 28, to go into all the world, make disciples, you know that when you go out to make all the disciples, some of them won't make. In fact, he'll, he's going to tell the disciples, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts 
so that they may not believe and be saved. It never took root. They heard, but they were thinking of something else. Um, could be things like this. Um, there's a reason Steve Jobs wouldn't let any of his children have a phone. I find that interesting. He made a lot of money for us, but he wouldn't let his kids near one. Uh, way back in the day, way before the phone, we blamed it on Sesame Street because they changed stories so quickly. There were educators that were writing books on it's training our kids not to have an attention span. I think that was all overwrought, by the way, but regardless. People who don't pay attention may hear it and the devil will distract them. Please remember, the devil doesn't need you to believe in him or follow him for him to win. He just needs you not to be paying attention to Jesus. To, for Jesus to win, you have to be focused on Jesus. So the, the bar for Jesus is much higher than that of the devil. So here you're hearing the word of God, and the devil's going, squirrel! And he, he wins. Uh, so, what's the next one? Those on a rocky ground are those who receive the word with joy while they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. And this is our big fear for the groups like in Iran. Because they hear and the joy is there, but the ability to develop roots is really... I, I don't know. I, how many copies of the Bible can we get in there? How many can they safely... Well, it's never going to be safe. How many will they risk to keep? Who's going to help them interpret the scripture? Remember, how can I unless someone explained it to me? As the uh, Ethiopian eunuch said. Who's going to give them the roots? Could heresy arise? Oh, sure. If there are no roots. So, he says, that you're, this is going to happen. Okay, uh, those on a rocky ground uh, are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those that hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. I would submit to you, that's the modern American and Western church. That's us. We always assume we're the good guys at the end. No, 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 no. We get choked with worldly desires and thoughts. And worldly there doesn't mean evil. It just means not spiritual. So we're more concerned about things like the mortgage and is our car going to start tomorrow? These are all legitimate. All legitimate. Uh, are, is, is Finn's tooth going to re-implant? Uh, you know, we worry about these things. God says, watch out, because the devil can use legitimate daily issues you face to pull you away from Jesus. Please. I have a question. When I was a young man, we memorized scripture. It's in my mind. And many of these today have something in their hand. Mm -hmm. Is there a difference in reading something that's in your hand and relying on something that is fixed inside your mind, your brain? Yeah, yes, there is. And, and, and I'm not doing that as your minister, I'm doing that as a neuroscientist. Very different. Um, for an example, as we work with people with Alzheimer's who are dying, uh, I've said this before, so some of you might remember it. What's the last thing they remember? Songs. 
especially hymns. That's the last thing before they go for believers. Uh, other times it's scripture. I know it's going to be from my mom. She's not showing any signs of that. So not, um, my dad died of, uh, with Alzheimer's. Frankly, he died of everything. It just all went south. Um, and, and we're grateful because that many didn't have to linger like so many Alzheimer's people do. It was about a five-year window, and that's three years less than the average Alzheimer's. So, and that was a blessing for him and for us. But what did they sit around and do? They, even today, my mom they has this little thing. She thinks it's so amazing. It's shaped like a Bible, a little pocket New Testament. And you just throw a button, and it reads the scripture to you. Well, we've moved past that, and we have, you know, we have a lot more than that, but it still just tickles me. She'll say, whenever I'm not doing that, I'll just turn that on. And, I, and whenever I'm getting ready in the morning, I turn that on. Guess what's going to be in her head? The last, it's going to be scripture. Um, I, I'm not really a science fiction guy, and I've, I've watched a few Star Trek things and a few other Star Wars things, but nothing recently, because, you know, it's okay, got it. It's a, it's a Western in space. You know, and I know how that works. Um, and I, so I move on. And I know that may disappoint some of you, but, you know, let me just check. Don't care. Um, one, one of the teachers when I was in high school, however, had us read Ray Bradbury's book, Fahrenheit 451. Read it. And by the way, you ought to read George Orwell's 1984 and Animal Farm, too. Because if we had remembered those stories, we would not be where we are today. We forgot the stories. And those two stories were written by George Orwell, not his real name, on the, on the still nearly uninhabited island of Jura uh, off the Scottish coast. He used to be a socialist, pro-communist, pacifist, and then saw what happened and wrote Animal Farm in 1984. They are not long books. Please read them. But the one... Um, we're getting to here, Fahrenheit 451. It's, it was about a future in which media comes at you 24-7 in walls on your house and, and speakers along the way. It's, it does. And books are forbidden because you're not allowed to think. Everybody has to be in the same line, do the same thing. And that's, um, in our today's cancel culture, that's a real issue. So the books were shut down. The books were knocked out. Uh, there are um, huge numbers of universities that re refuse now to uh, have anything from the dweems in their, and dweems means dead white males. So an entire, you're, you're studying literature and you can't study Shakespeare, Milton, right? You can't. Um, and it's awful because again, some of, the, some of that stuff was pretty good. Some of it was awful. You know, Taming of the Shrew was one of the worst things to write about women, period. But some of it was really good. We have cut ourselves off from this. Well, the books were outlawed, and firemen weren't people that put out fires. Firemen's job was to find books and burn them. Well, a fireman, for reasons that I don't need to go into, decides to tuck a book, save it, risking his life. It eventually leads him to the underground people who love books. And he finds that most of them do not save them. They deliver them to be burned, but only after they memorize them. And the moment out of that book that hit me the hardest was when one man walked up to the fireman, put out his hand, and he said, I am the book of Job. 
they took upon themselves the identity of the book. That is who they are. They are the keeper of that knowledge. Uh, Denzel Washington did a whole movie on that, if you remember, not just a few years ago. A lot of violence in it because it was supposed to be a, a world that had forgotten the word. And there is a book and everybody's hunting the book. And I'm sorry, people, it's been out for like 10 years. So spoiler alert, when they finally get him to the safe place where he can deliver the book, it's in here. And he sits down and the scribes are already and he starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I still get chills. It's one of the few movies we actually bought on DVD. Remember them? They're so last Tuesday. But because I wanted to see that again and again and understand the importance of memorizing scripture. Please, anytime. In 1967, when I was pitching at Free Harlan, Roy Wallace Jr., a well-known older man, visited us to speak to the young minister at that time. When Brother Dixon introduced me to Roy Wallace, he said, have you ever heard of Amos Lemons? And I said, it was my grandfather's brother. He said, if every New Testament on earth had been completely destroyed, he could reproduce it and not miss a comma. You know, I've heard stories like this um, from other generations. I was told of a preacher that had never made it past, I think, eighth grade or something. He might have even been illiterate. But because he had people reading the scripture to him, had memorized it. I don't know how many of these stories are overblown. I don't think most of them are. Because what else are you going to do with your time back then? You work and scripture. There is a problem in not knowing how to do stuff but just where to find stuff. Do you understand what I mean by that? Um, I can tell you within half a second how many times the word grace was used in a particular book. But looking it up that way isn't the same as reading and reading and reading and reading and getting it in your head. Everybody here knows my story and how transformed I was um, by reading the Gospels over and over for six months. It just... Okay. You know, that domino, do, domino fell and changed everything. It is so important to get the roots down. Patrick, may I add? Please. Oh, to what extent is this, the, it, it is describing our present culture. It is. There's so much information that people cannot factor anything. How, where, where do we go from here from the standpoint of the church and from our, for our young people? Uh, well, first of all, our young people had Lauren for five years. When I first came here, I had never seen teenagers less interested in worship anywhere I'd ever been. They were texting, laughing, and playing games and such during worship. And when I tried to talk to them about it, it was like, who are you? It was awful. Lauren came. And they started memorizing scripture. Do you remember when we did the series on the Sermon on the Mount? They would have the teen stand up each week, and that teen would recite the passage. They didn't recite just, memorize just that passage. The largest percentage of them had memorized the entire. And that wasn't the only thing she had them, she had pounding scripture into them. Where our kids now are involved, engaged, and giving. And during family prayer time, they seek out people, older people, and ask to pray for them. They're involved. And I, I thank Lauren for that. And by the way, we've got 
We've got a friend of Lauren's that we're talking to. So we're going to try to keep that going. All right. And, there was a, and, and Evan deserves the credit. Too. Oh, He's Evan is doing that with our fifth, sixth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. I believe that's, and he's doing it. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yes, please. Absolutely agree. I agree. And in fact, and, and I love North Little Rock and getting invited over there. So have me back sometime. Um, the, I often say, and our church knows this, that we don't need to worry about the future. Because the teens, they're, they're on this already. You know, our teens are, yes, but... Uh, if you go to Winterfest, it's packed. They, there's no room. They have to do two services, and it's packed both times at convention center. You can try to get out. Two years ago today, not two years ago, it was, um, it was like seven or eight years ago. I'm sorry. It just came up on my memory thing today. Um, we, Cammy was still in Colorado. I was speaking at Winterfest, then had to drive back to Nashville, catch a plane to go to Colorado next day to, to close on our house and then drive back to Nashville to move here. Well, uh, for her to be here with me. And getting out of little Gatlinburg took two hours because so many teens were there to hear scripture and study. So be aware that the phones and such aren't taking everybody. And in fact, a lot of them have, uh, they're already out of Facebook because you got on it. Uh, and, and they also because of the, the political, you know, the, the last few elections have wiped out Facebook and, and a lot of people's heads. Um, and now they're on Instagram or Snapchat, but even that they shut down. When I'd go in and, and see what Lauren and Evan were doing, you wouldn't see a phone. And they had rules. And those rules were kept. A lot of our teens see a value in this. Because we, to us, it's still this novel thing, right? We grew up with two, two stations and three if you had enough foil and some kid held out this unarmed that direction. You know, so it's still a novel for us. Um, but I think more and more people are, are seeing this. But again, it doesn't have to be phones. It can be your work. It can be whatever. We're that group he's talking about that the roots, uh, the weeds choke it out, the thorns. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a good and noble heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. There's your sermon. There's your three points. Hearing it, keeping it, hold the line. Stay the course. All right? Um, this becomes very episodic. It's almost 
um, choppy to us, but to a Jew and to the Greeks of this time, scene shifting happened immediately. And they don't put the in-between things that we do in our literature. So scene shifts. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who can come in can see the light. For there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Uh, see, that's not the line I expected in 18. My expectation was, be very careful what you say and do. And he says, be very careful how you listen. Um, I'll read the rest, but I want to come back to that. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, wow, what a phrase, will be taken from them. So let's go back. How you listen. There was a book written back in the 70s um, with a horrible title called I'm Okay, You're Okay. But it was a bestseller. Some of you may have had it and read it. Uh, and there were follow-up books, Staying Okay and the like. It was a horrible title. Everybody agreed it was a horrible title. And it was on something called transactional analysis. And that is, um, what, what are you getting out of whatever you're doing? Like self-pity, they got a lot of power, attention, and excuse. I don't have to do these things because I'm, I'm this. Um, even alcoholism, they would talk about the five steps of the game. And this is in the, and the payoff. And the idea was to learn to deny the payoff. It's pretty complicated, actually. But one of the things uh, that transactional analysis really, really worked on that I appreciated was that it would make the person stop to say, who are you listening to? They would say, well, no, I, it's just it's my thinking. Whose voice sounds like what you're thinking? And eventually, they might find, well, it was the dad that was mean and drunk, or it was the mama that didn't love them, or it was the aunt that was always criticizing. And they began to realize, we can filter which one we're listening to. We can decide who we're going to listen to. I do that. I'm on Twitter. I've got, I don't know, nearly 7,000 people that follow me, which shows you the state of the ruin of the world. But I use that mute bot button a lot. Somebody comes at me and says something, and I'm going, nah, I don't need that in my life. That's the way. As C.S. Lewis put it, but he was talking about the radio and a new idea called television, which really hadn't taken off yet in Britain. He said, if there is a sewer pipe that ends in your house, it is a bad idea to open it. Huh. And he, uh, he brought up something which he did not know at the time. He was overstating. We found a couple times where he would have been wrong. But the Great Wall of China, people go, you know, that's the only, thing, only human thing that can be seen from space? No, it isn't. It's a myth. Anyway, a Great Wall of China failed every time an army came against it. Not because they got over the wall, but because they bribed gates to, uh, guards to open the gates. That is almost entirely true. And he says, if the devil can bribe you to open the gates, no wall is going to protect you. And his idea was, what is it he would use to bribe you? Uh, that's, that's a really good question to ask ourselves. But this whole idea of be careful how you listen, who are you listening to? I, uh, I go about and help churches, as you know. And um, There's a man that was quite angry and 
I understood it. I, I, don't, I understand anger. You know, I've been angry. I get it. And I was on his side once, and I get that too. I do. He, I'm not upset by anger. But I did ask, and I, by the way, this is over a whole week, so I don't want you to think I was in his face. But asking, who are you reading? You know, what lectureships do you go to? Um, who are your favorite preachers? And it became very obvious that nothing had changed in his head for 40 years because he was still drinking from the same tap. Maybe, maybe you should pay attention to who you're listening to. And one of my rules is, who are you listening to? Is it worth being that person? See where they ended up to see if that's where you want to go. Many of them with split families, many of them in small dying churches. I mean, is this really God's will for our life? And I use an illustration which is not religious at all, but back when I was going through high school, that was a different world, wasn't it? Um, you know, the, the kids, you had smoke breaks for the kids. They go out and smoke in the quad with the, with the teachers, bumming lights off each other. And, and the cool kids were the ones that wore, um, you know, that always had cigarettes, which are called something different in Britain. They're called fags. It's not, I didn't make it up. It has nothing to do with homosexuality. You know, they, you know, they come, and they still do, by the way. You like a fag, and you're going, no on every count. Uh, I, I'm not sure what you mean, but I'm just going to go with a blanket no on this. Anyway, they would smoke, and, and they were the cool kids. And the cool kids are, were the car guys. I've always loved cars. I love cars. I don't intend to buy another car, but I still subscribe to a couple of car magazines because I love cars. And I probably can't afford a better car because I spent it on the magazines, but let's not go there. The car guys were the cool guys. And you had shop in school. And there were different kinds of shop. There were carpentry and the like, but the cool guys were the car guys. Because back then you could fix anything with a fuse and a hammer. Had to be a fuse because British cars. Lucas built them out of electrics. The same reason why the British people drink warm beer. Lucas built the refrigerators. I, it, it was just awful. The electrics were awful. If you drove an MGB back then or an MG, uh, you didn't go around the block unless you had two extra water pumps in the back. Uh, it, it was just, they're always tinkering, 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 always working. I don't know how to work on a car. You know, I can do a couple basic things, or could, not anymore. You open it up and it's all computer stuff, and I'm going, nope. Um, I, I like to watch a British program, which is now taking place in America, but mainly shown over, uh, over in Britain called Wheeler Dealers, where they'll take an old car and fix it up and sell it. I like to watch them do it. Do, am I learning anything? Nope. But I love cars. So what if I listen to these guys, I act like these guys, and I emulate these guys? What happens to them? Well, they blew off a lot of the harder subjects. They, didn't, they weren't interested in this other stuff. They ended up in jobs where they never got to buy a cool car. Do you want to end up where they're going? Who are you listening to? And if you're listening to modern stars, do you really want their life? You might think so. I don't think you do. I don't think you do at all. Um, I wouldn't trade it for a second. We have peace in our family. Um, some of our young ladies here, we call our daughters. And they texted us on Valentine's. I was just checking on them as they're on a trip. And they said, we hope you have a great Valentine's night with, 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 uh, with, with, your, with Miss Cammie. I wrote back and I said, 
were eating in and sitting around quietly reading a book. So, yes. I had the feeling they read that and cried in desperation somewhere, but that's... Um, anyway, who are you listening to that tells you you need more? And then whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Um, oh, past time. I'll just say this. All of us are one virus or one lawsuit away from losing everything we have. So don't hold on to things thinking you own them. Everything's temporary. And you, you get the last word, Tim. There's George Orwell. So we're all equal, but some of us are more equal than others. That actually comes right from the book. Go read the books. We'll discuss. We'll do, everybody will have to do a book report next week. But right now, go away. <laughs>